Hello and welcome to Room Escape Divas, your podcast on everything escape room. This week, we are very excited to have Haley Moore on with us to talk about all sorts of things, props and crazy artifacts and all sorts of stuff. Yay! Welcome, Haley. Hello. Hello. So this is kind of a funny story, and I was saving this. Uh, the, the reason I met Haley, I met you at Recon. I think. Yes. Uh, yes. So I met you at Recon and the way I met you was kind of funny, like quote unquote met you. Uh, I was running my narrative workshop and it was in the chaos that was the check-in process for those workshops. I think the first the first little bits of, of check-ins were like everybody trying to find the right workshop. Yeah. And basically you ended up in mine uh, and then asked like, I'm looking for another workshop. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I mean, I kind of wish I'd stayed. We were having <laughs> such a lovely chat. It was a great chat. And then <laughs> as you were like, as we were talking, I, I kind of, uh, I was, you know, I was looking at your nickname and I was looking at your, I was like, oh, she has a website and a Twitter. Or I went to your Twitter first and then I found your website from there. And then I thought, this is really cool. You make, really cool stuff and i messaged you to to say like do you want to come on the podcast and talk about your cool stuff so i am i have been talking long enough about that but i just thought it was kind of funny um the very happenstance way that uh we met um but how about you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do cool so uh i'm a prop maker artist and more recently industrial designer uh, so I've been involved in alternate reality games since, like, I'm the first one was we started in 2004. So we're doing old school ARGs, um, mostly with uh, Dave Zaborski. Since then, I've been doing mostly tangible props and tangible storytelling for different projects. Um, so I've done puzzle embedded uh, on-screen props and uh, stuff for people to find in the wild, which is my favorite type. <laughs> um, I, and I, I love art that you, you can actually pick up and manipulate and discover things about. It's my favorite kind of art. It's also very, very difficult because, you know, if you're doing something for screen, the back can be cardboard and Christmas lights, but uh, yeah. right when it's when it's an in-person experience that someone has a three D view of, perhaps yeah, there's a, a little bit more to it. Oh my yeah. goodness, that's so cool! So you started out in the in the ARG community. Uh, that's really exciting. And what were some of your earlier props that you were experimenting with, or what what got you into prop making? Actually, what? Uh, did did you initially go into it, or did you just kind of fall into it, or did you just have a passion right from the start? So when you're working on a project like an indie arg, which was my first arg, which was the Alias ARG, which you know I, it was like all volunteer. Uh, I had never watched Alias before <laughs> I started working on it. <laughs> it's like you know, people, you know. Want me to do a thing? Um, yeah. So, uh, and when I started on that, I was actually a jewelry maker. Um, so I worked in polymer clay and resin and, you know, wire work and beads and stuff. And uh, at some point, someone was like, can you make, like, these coins for this drop that we want to do? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll try it. And, uh, you know... It's kind of like, well, you you run into like, oh, oh, yeah, I happen to have these skills. Let's pick it up and run with it. And then uh, so I made little polymer clay coins. Maybe some people listening have these. Like it's been oh, maybe. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's what been it, like two thousand four. You said. I think 2004, 2005. Okay, so it's been so, like 16 years? Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Time um, means nothing anymore. Yeah. From there, I started on Catching the Wish. And right from the get-go, we were like, we want to make these big, like, centerpiece props out of clay that are going to be in-universe created by a local artist in Aguilora, our fictional town. Uh, and they're going to represent different aspects of both the story, uh, 
and so different aspects of the story and actually different chapters in the story uh knowledge technology spirit history and the last one was the mask of man uh and so yeah these were you know pretty huge for arg uh swag things uh so these were all things people would get as a result of playing the the arg yeah, these were like the, the these were like the key props. Like if you're playing a Zelda game and you're getting like the the sacred jewels uh, or whatever, like they have to go into a chest and open it up, and then music would play. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but they were all live. Well, actually, I think some of them were dead drops, but a few of them were live drops too. And uh, you know, someone <laughs> was was asked to meet in our fictional town and we sent them sort of on a goose chase and finally we're like look let's just meet at this gas station <laughs> so i yeah i have a, i have a couple of questions so one is a dumb i don't know much about arg questions or i haven't oh, played okay. enough so can you describe what a live drop and a dead drop is just just uh, right. so we can know right so uh in args a well it's actually uh i believe like a term that came from like spycraft uh, mm. when you have to get something discreetly from one person to another. Oh. So there's a live drop where you actually meet a person uh, okay. in real life. Yeah. Uh, and a dead drop is basically like a geocache uh, right. or like pre geocaching uh, where, you know, you'll give someone a puzzle to find and then they'll find it hidden in a public place. Um, that's uh, that's what we did for uh, Future Coast also. Like, all of those were dead drops where you would go to okay. the location and find the... Uh, the act, the were, thing, the yeah, cool the thing. thing. <laughs> the <laughs> crystallized voicemail from the future. Crystallized voicemail from the future. That mm-hmm. is... Like, it just makes me kind of want to play these games. And then I have to... So my second question is around... Because uh, I, I read this on your site as well. And I read... And you mentioned it just now that you made a fictional town. Um, yeah. What was what was that like? So did you, like, scout out a location and just, just kind of make a town out of it? Or was it more um, um, fictional it was... in the theory theoretical sense? It was a collage of different places. Okay. Um, uh, like, and we also had like a town map. Um, we would go and like source pictures from different places. Like, there was an antique store, so I went to an antique store in San Angelo, Texas, and took all these pictures. If we were basically building this, you know, pastiche of all the places that we could get access to, and then we had, you know, a, a little like town website. We had uh, a campaign to stop the demolition of the library in town. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and this this is not props related, but it is like my favorite thing that I've ever done in an ARG is uh, we had a live, like, because there wasn't Zoom or anything back then, we had a live phone, like, meeting, town hall for oh. people, for players to advocate for for the library that's um, amazing uh and i played a folk singer <laughs> who showed up to do a protest song and i was doing it in the most obnoxious voice and i didn't realize until long after that they had cut me off in the middle <laughs> for comedic effect <laughs> did you like did you go on the phone to sing or did you you came, showed up in person to sing oh no i i boots was all over the phone oh yeah um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's oh that's that sounds like something sounds like something my friend Errol would do. <laughs> yeah, just start singing and and then uh, get cut off in the middle <laughs> somehow. <laughs> that's great. That's fantastic. And so you from and then since then you've just been you've been crazy involved in props and learning all sorts of crazy skills that like. For instance, I think I saw on your website you have robotics. Uh, yeah. You have all sorts of crazy laser cut things. You have had a project where you made giant paintbrushes. I think that yeah. was really exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was for uh, so uh, the first time the Dallas area had a TEDx event. Um, they went out and looked for proposals from artists and 
the Dallas makerspace at the time, which was very, very tiny. We didn't have a space. We were meeting in like a game shop, which I'm think I don't know if that's there anymore. So a bunch of us were like, well, we'll come up with something and put it together. And uh, yeah, we did this whole thing with projection mapping the digital paint and like you had two canvases and they would suck paint from each other. So if one person was over here doing red, it would start pulling the red out of the other oh. canvas and taking it over there. Uh, <laughs> it's like competitive painting to like mm -hmm. the extreme. Yeah, <laughs> that's exciting. But yeah, yeah, it was all to like uh, I don't even know what scale you would call it, but it was the yeah. paintbrushes were like six feet tall and emitted IR, and uh, and man, they were a lot of fun to build. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So I was I'm curious. So from a from an immersion perspective, I guess I, I tend to see since this podcast does tend to focus on escape rooms, but we cover all sorts of gaming and, and mm -hmm. interact and immersive interactive experiences and whatnot. I tend to see like two flavors of, of props in escape rooms. Um, the ones that, okay, this one's extreme, but like bought from the dollar store, we'll say, or like sourced from, you know, like you go out, you get what you can, like this kind of looks Egyptian and you throw it in. Uh, and then the props that I don't want to say like people put effort into, but ones that are built from scratch, ones that. Yeah, uh, bespoke, that, right? Like, yeah. I know that I love props i i'm a sucker for for nice props the take-home escape room industry now is um i i'm throwing way too much money at it for the for the prettiness but in your opinion what can props how can props add to immersions in in experiences how can they i guess how can they reflect the world, the characters, that kind of thing? Like, how how could a prop be a make or break experience um, in in an experience, whether it's an escape room or whether it's uh, an immersive theater uh, event of some sort or an ARG or whatever, what have you? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's always like the more the more flair you can see, the more that there is to interact with. Uh, you know, visually and tactilely, mm -hmm. yeah, the better the experience is because the whole idea is to be in a place and, you know, to be able to get up closer than you could in theater or at a theme park where the, the uh, <laughs> you know, the props are absolutely gorgeous mm -hmm. and there is a, a you know, always a berm or a wall or you know, something between you and them. That's one of the things about escape rooms is that it's not just a thing you go to see, it's a thing you go to do. That's a that's a good point that, right, it's like the, the fact that we can pick these things up is is a big deal. And I, I know after COVID when, mm -hmm. or sorry, after COVID, like, it's, <laughs> oh my God, why did I just say that? Um, um, during during the brief during, time when we all thought it might be okay. During the most extreme of lockdowns, uh, uh, when um, we were relegated to digital escape rooms, and and those evolved in a very interesting way. But on my birthday in July, when uh, when we went back to our very first in person escape room. And the thrill that I felt at just being able to pick up an object and bring it over and plug it into another object or or examine it up close or feel the grooves within the like within the uh, it was a space themed room. So, you know, like this weird alien object uh, to to be able to actually touch it and hold it and feel the weight. I've never felt so thrilled in a long time. <laughs> it was a really oh. weird feeling. Uh, and I don't, I think I took that for granted before. Uh, but that's one of the things I love about escape rooms in the first place is, and, and immersive theater even is that is, is the closeness with which you can get to that, to that world. One of the best things I've ever done in escape room, which was cut a wire in a fuse box. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> just chef's kiss uh, yeah <laughs> and it was i i think i might have done it after the buzzer 
but I didn't care. I was cutting that wire. Oh my god, yeah. No. <laughs> Pay attention to the buzzer at that point, especially yeah. if it's right in front of you. I was like, oh yeah, no. That was a beautiful thing. And I think they actually had it wired up so that it would like stop the timer. Like it was an actual prop like really, really cool. One of the things that I was thinking about, which is a term that Andrea Phillips came up with. Uh, if you don't know Andrea, she's another old school art creator. She worked on Perplex City and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, we've worked together uh, for you know several projects, and she's also the writer of uh, Creator's Guide to Transmedia Storytelling. And she has a, she's now doing a whole bunch of really cool fiction stuff. Um, so uh, one of the things that she termed was pervasive media, um, mm. which is like you know gets across this idea of insistence. So when you're playing a game, even if it's a video game, you want everything to mesh together. And mm. one of the things you want to say, want to do is reiterate over and over the, the key things. So if you have a room where, uh, you know, the idea is that you're going to be physically in this space and you see a prop that was very clearly hand crafted for you to be in the room with that among other things it makes you more certain that this room is well designed and you can solve it right like you're not going to run into a situation where you've just you know flown past you know the thought process of the people who created it that's very true yeah uh i i can see that when you see the the amount of detail put into something I don't, I don't know if it would, I feel like they can still screw up puzzles at that point, but yeah. to see, to see the love put into something, you know, that they're, they're really, it's probably going to be better than, than other experiences that you have. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a room where that happens. Where that, where that didn't work. One that didn't work. Yeah. We, we had one where we actually created it. We, it was, and I can't, we haven't talked about this event in a long time, but our group had one where we created a, an event on a train. Um, and it was supposed to be, uh, an inventor. Uh, so it was an escape room on a train. The train was moving. It was an event we did. And, and our listeners have heard about this a lot, but I will tell you, let me tell you how, how, horrible bottlenecks are to design when you're designing for a train uh, event. But we figured out something and one of the props we had was this big machine thing and the guy mm. that was making it, our friend Ray, um, it just, oh my goodness, he he's, he's a guy who can go to a scrapyard and find several things, like you know, crazy random things and somehow make them look like they belong on this machine and that they've always belonged on this machine. And, uh, and this was an example of like, we wanted a big moment at the end, you know, we wanted this big reveal moment and it was very much worth it. But at the same time, it was very tough to, uh, <laughs> it was very tough to manage because it, it was, there were moments where, oops, it's not going to turn on and, uh, or oops, that fog thing we had hooked up to it isn't gonna run and we gotta figure that out now in the moment during the show. And, yeah. But it did give people along with the machine, we had little lock boxes um, that people had to work on and these lock boxes were wired to like light up and stuff when people solved it and I think that made all the difference in the world uh, for people's experiences, the fact that they could, you know, they could see the effort being put into it. We also like made these laser discs that were like little decoder discs. Uh, people wanted to take them home after, and we had to say no because they took forever to make. Uh, uh, yeah, the original intent was to have them take home, but then it's like forty hours later uh, after he made eight of them, it was like okay, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a bit of a ramble, but I'm just trying to think like. Oh, I wish it's... that I had gotten to play the train escape. Bonanza. It was a fun time. Yeah. Oh <laughs> it was a really fun time. It, it was incredibly intense for us, but it was fun to see people enjoying it. And it was fun. Uh, it was fun for people. Cause a lot of the people who came didn't, it was kind of like an ARG and, but they didn't know that they, 
were entering an es- the the experience as the moment they got in. It was more immersive theater, I guess. They entered a train station. We were already in character. So they would walk up and be like, I'm here for the escape game because mm-hmm. they thought I was the actual conductor and I was like playing a character and yeah anyway that's like going way off topic but it was it was a fun time I, I wanted to ask you like on the lines of the practicality of it because you, you've designed all sorts of things depending on what experience you're designing for i.e. an experience in which some people are going to get to handle the prop over a limited period of time and an experience kind of like an escape where many people handle the prop over the course of that escape room's life and durability is a thing. And yeah. so if you have this wonderful handcrafted prop, have you, have you had to like deal with that before? And if so, like how does it affect how you make that prop and, and how do you help it extend its life? Yeah. I'm, I'm really very grateful that like, the first big thing I did was for NARG because you give it to one person and they're the steward of it. They, yeah. they value it. Um, <laughs> although <laughs> I have a story, which I will get to Ooh, uh, yeah. about, about a prop breaking. But um, <laughs> yeah. if I were to make something like, say, a sculpture that had you know electronics or whatever in it, I would not these days hand sculpt most of it. I would do a lot of 3D printing and probably in the end it would get, you know, molded and made it solid as you possibly could make it. So mm-hmm. that, you know, you're not you're not you're not getting dings in it. Um that's one of the sad things is like sometimes uh if you have people who are making props that are meant for like haunted houses uh right. they'll use they'll use expanding foam which is great mm-hmm. uh but very prone to just you know somebody putting their hand on it wrong or oh. or a teenager sticking a pencil into it and then you have a white right. dot in the middle of your stonework yeah <sighs> uh, <laughs> deep sighs all around yeah <laughs> but yeah i mean these days i do an awful lot of the work in the 3D printer or in CAD and SolidWorks or, you know, Mishmixer and we'll do stuff in the 3D printer. And then if I have, you know, hand, like, you know, clay sculpting or whatever needs to be done, it'll be done around that or over that. And then everything, like, you want things to be in as solid a state as you can get them. And I'd really like to do, like, bespoke 3D printed puzzles, but... They, they break pretty easily, depending on what kind of printer you use. If it was like a limited series of some sort or something, uh, it might be cool. But yeah, it's hard to hard to gauge, right? Um, yeah. Uh, and then, but on the other hand, if you have, a, you know, if you're running a room where you have 3D printers in the back yeah. to refabricate everything, well, you just always have spare. <laughs> Oh, that's um, true. Do you know of escape? Oh, that's a good question. I wonder if escape rooms have a 3D printer in their facilities to just continually remake props. We were talking about there's an escape room that that I know they must have, like a backroom production thing, because mm-hmm. at the finale you have to smash a pot. Oh my I, gosh! I don't remember what the room was, because we were talking about this... Uh, that's okay. Last if you, recon. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you don't remember, that should be fine because pe- people might not want to be spoiled. So, yeah, yeah. But you get to smash a pot. You get to smash a pot. So, obviously, either on site or somewhere close by, they're just like <laughs> churning out these pots. That's hilarious. Man. But, I mean, yeah, there's nothing to stop you from having, you know, a, a printer like I have, which is a, a Prusa i3. Uh, MK3S. It's very like there's no reason that you couldn't stick it in corners somewhere and just have it running whenever. But yeah. you know that's extra, you know, time and money and you know. But uh, it would be really cool. Like you could make all sorts of things that had uh, different puzzle content. So yeah, if you that's true. So if you have a maze, you would just print a new one. <laughs> <laughs> 
very true. Oh man, the possibilities. Mm-hmm. And so, kind of getting back to actually, I want to hear your broken prop story since we're oh. on the subject of broken props. Yeah. Uh, so Argfestocon uh was a convention uh for fans of alternate reality games. Uh, the last one was in Portland in 2015, I want to say. Okay. And, but the first one I went to was also in Portland and I was hanging out, didn't know anybody. And, uh, they have a alternate reality game, uh, museum. So all the things that people have collected from all these experiences get like laid out and you can like look at all the cool stuff people had because obviously like people want to show it off. I was going to ask, is the ARG Museum an ARG in itself? (laughs) (laughs) Run an ARG in the ARG Museum? Oh, that would be cool. All right, where's my bullet journal? (laughs) Yeah, write it down. But uh, so the first time I went to one of these things, I'd never met any of these people except for online. And I'm standing around just sort of blending into the crowd. I see somebody take one of the masks out of the box that he brought for the the museum and uh one one of the parts on it had broken oh no and i went over and i'm like oh my gosh i can't believe this broke you know i am like i'm so sorry and i start talking to him and like okay so here's how we're gonna fix it um, not realize that I should have told him that I was the one that made it. He was very confused as to why I would actually oh, know. Oh, you had made it, and he was bringing it to the museum. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so this is so this is somebody who had just gotten the prop during, in the course of doing the ARG, and then uh, was bringing it to the museum as a sign of like, yeah, I'll donate it and have oh, a... So it's not donations. We, okay. I mean, it, it doesn't matter because it's not a thing anymore, but I treasure this dearly. No, everybody kept their stuff. It's just that we came to, to have it all on display. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. So he was just bringing the, the prop to to display it and then yeah. happened to meet the creator of the prop who's like <laughs> sitting yeah. there like, all right, here's what we're going to do. Game yeah. plan. <laughs> All so right. it was like your your child, like you know, brought back to you a little bit broken. <laughs> oh, oh no! And I started telling him about how like the guy at UPS said that this would be fine, and like, <laughs> and that the package would be just pristine, and uh, like obviously something got messed up, and he's like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "Oh, well, you see." <laughs> You should have a badge you could pull out or anything. Just like, yeah. Hey, boy, prop master. And then like. <laughs> I, my first, you know, social awkwardness. You leave out those, those like very important details. <laughs> nah, he should have known you right from the start. This is like, yes, the creator. Um. <laughs> I. I, I don't think I have that kind of energy, but I appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, um, that's that's so f- that's super fun. Broken props. It's always fun to hear about those. Yeah. So, when it comes to that, um, one of the things I noticed on your website as well, and for me, this is exciting because I'm just I'm a narrative nerd, uh, and so I. Oh, and I'm trying to remember. I was trying to search while we were talking. Like, what was that term she used again? Um, I think it was called archive, archival storytelling, or something like or, that. Artifact uh, story. Artifact. artifact storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, artifact. Yeah. So you use the term artifact storytelling, and you have a couple of projects that you have going in in where the props themselves are the ones telling the story. And I was wondering if you wanted to to speak a little bit about that because I'm. I'm a sucker for that. When I see something like, I think one of my favorite moments in a video game was during Riven, the sequel to Mist, and it's a really small moment. Um, hmm? 
I love that game. Oh, I love, like, it is, for me, one of the pinnacles of environmental storytelling around. And one of my favorite weirdest moments is when I'm reading one of the journals. And on the journal are are these little drops and you don't know what they are initially. And then you realize because you're reading, he's, he's talking about his wife dying, um, this character and you realize, Oh my God, they put tear stains on the page. Mm -hmm. Like those little tiny details that, you know, you might not notice immediately, but that can give, give part of that story or even just learning through documents and that kind of thing. So, Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I love that stuff. It's like, uh, you know, a, what, like, for example, you can have a letter with a postmark on it, and then another letter with a stamp. No postmark. Mm. Still sealed. This person never sent this letter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, and yeah, I love messing with paper, like, you know, what can what can the actual pages tell you that you know words can't you know was this folded up in somebody's pocket and they just kept it with them or was it nicely set aside in a desk somewhere um you know every every piece of paper has a history and so when i'm doing stuff that has you know paper artifacts uh i'll always work that in because it's like all right where was this who had it um you know, how many times has this passed hands in the course of its existence, you know? That's true, right? Like, how many how many people have held on to this? I, last year, uh, my friends were very kind to me and pitched in on a birthday present for me. And they got me a, oh, what is this lady's name? Crap, it's in New Orleans. Uh, and it's a, it was a dollhouse that I got. She has different oh. little... She makes miniatures as a as a profession, and mm-hmm. it's a, and so I, I got a creepy dollhouse for my birthday, <laughs> which I Ooh. adored. And you and you got it's kind of it was kind of kind of like a take home puzzle game, but there weren't as many puzzles in it. But there were a ton of little artifacts in there, and little first there were the miniatures of the dollhouse and. But even things like what I really appreciated was that attention to detail because you had to think about who's making this dollhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a it was a woman who was uh, committed to an asylum, so like she was using materials that were available to her, or who, um, uh, yeah, like you said, how many how many hands has this letter passed? There was like a few letters in there, with some with the envelope torn open some mm-hmm. that weren't some that like and if there was a hidden message of some sort like you know uh that kind of thing and it's just it, it's the kind of props the kind of documents like the more you look at them just the more you discover and i i adore that game like all the all the all the artifacts are sitting on my bookshelf so i have a creepy dollhouse um <laughs> that's I thought That's I'd give beautiful. it to my nieces after, but as I'm building the dollhouse, I'm like, nah, nah. this will scar them. But <laughs> 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 but it was neat because uh, eventually what you realize is that like you open up one of the packages and she made miniatures of all the documents that you have. <laughs> so like there was a miniature of an ad from the Sears catalog. There were miniatures of the letters with tiny envelopes with tiny little letters that went into them. And I was just like, Oh my God. <laughs> my heart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. That's sublime. I yeah. It. it was, it was, so it was a very cool experience in that sense. Uh, so yeah, I'm interested to hear about like your experience, like learning how to tell stories with these artifacts and props and letters and whatnot. I don't know if I can top that. <laughs> I think I think you could. I think I think there's some cool stuff. We're not all miniature makers in here, <laughs> so one of my so I have two things that I've been sort of picking at. One of them is a typewriter. It's a typewriter. Oh, you know, it's got little hidden things. Some of the, and these are a lot of this is blue sky, but, uh, when you know, blue sky is in a uh, dream. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, ideal things that maybe it would be too 
uh, unrealistic oh, like a... to, to fabricate. So, like, if you wanted to change out the, for example, the letters on a typewriter. Right. So, um, which would tell you both, like, a history of the typewriter that it had to have things replaced on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also maybe, you know, like a puzzle. <laughs> maybe some kind of puzzle. Maybe, yep. You know, that's one of my like blue sky things is like taking yep. a typewriter and putting, but you know, also uh, typewriters that are for travel have covers with stickers because people get stickers when they go on like cruise ships uh, and things get, uh, or cruise ships, I should say like ships. Uh, okay. You know, you have, uh, you know, uh, stickers from having gone on, you know, if you check your bags, you've got those. Um, You know, people would probably have their own files and personal effects stuffed in there. And, like, that's one of the things that I really, really love to do. And I've been picking at that for a while. Uh, And then I have a... I also have a... uh, jewelry case that I've been slowly retrofitting into a escape box. Oh, that's yeah. cool. That's, that's exciting. Uh, but I gotta find a, a audience for that. It's it's a small thing. Uh, you know, it's not an escape room. It's more of a one-on-one experience. It's also very large, so... <laughs> <laughs> It's like, it's so exclusive that just one person can play it. Yeah. Yeah, like one or two people. Sorry, we were just, I was just telling you about my brainstorming stuff. Oh, no. (laughs) I was, yeah, I was more, I'm more interested. I love hearing about that stuff. No, I was also interested in, in, um, in your thoughts on, on how props can tell a story and that kind of thing. And, um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what it's all about, right? We're we're humans. We we don't make things unintentionally, right? Right. When when you make something, you're trying to say something, and everything that that you create reflects back on the person that made it. Um, you know, even if it's you know something like I I have a a <laughs> USB cord here on my desk, so. Right. You know, what is this saying? Well, it's made out of plastic and very thin metal, which means that it was made by someone who wanted to cut costs as much as possible, which, of course. Um, (laughs) It's got a coiled wire, which means someone had to move this around a lot, had to be flexible. The connectors are also sideways on this wire, which means someone, me had to have bought this for a very specific purpose where they needed it to go into something small. In this case, it's the, the power of the power and programming cable for my, uh, my pumpkin right. <laughs> that I've got lying out on the desk because I'm reusing its Arduino. <laughs> so like, this isn't a hugely story rich thing, but everything has physical properties that you can play with. That's like you even mentioning the the thinness of the metal and stuff indicating that it might be a cheaper USB yeah. cable, right? And yeah, you're like, right, like what does that say about either the person buying it or the person who made it? It could be, you know, a company that made it that's just looking to cut costs. Could yep. say something about the person being like, you needed something quick here, good this'll do. Um, yeah, that and- kind of thing. And if I were to, heaven forbid, take my snippers and cut off one end of this, right? anybody would look at that and say, why on earth would someone do that to a perfectly <laughs> good table, right? That's true. That's very true. <laughs> it's, it's not hard to make an object into a mystery. You know, just got to figure out, like, you know, what it's saying to you and then start, you know, fiddling with it. Yeah, I love I love thinking that way. Thinking about not only that, like, who made the the thing, and who either bought the thing or like received the thing. Even mm-hmm. if it was made as a gift to somebody else, if it was, um, oh, yeah. like, would it be a little bit more personalized? Would it be, you know, um, 
I love thinking about handwriting too. I, I didn't even think about handwriting at first until I worked on a game recently where uh, they asked me like, are you done with the, the writing? Because I, I need to get like my handwriting person to actually write out the prop, like mm. to write the letter. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess someone has to physically write this thing. Yep. Okay. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. I never even thought about that. Oh. <laughs> and picking someone to write depending on the type of handwriting you need um yeah yeah that's really hard um i actually i've handwritten a bunch of stuff and i actually have a font of my uh of my uh my handwriting of your handwriting yeah um, oh like you made a font out of it that you can yeah i made a font out of it i don't remember how i did that but like uh I would put it on my website uh, as like the header font, but it is not pretty. <laughs> I my handwriting is is not great either, and I I don't know. I feel like I was meant to be a left hander because I write like a left hander, but with my right hand. Ugh. And I had the kind of kindergarten teacher who who did like you know train it out of you uh so oh old, boy yeah i had an old school kindergarten teacher who was like no everybody should be right-handed yeah i remember that that used to be the no, thing you know nobody can <laughs> see the face that i'm making right now but it's <laughs> one of contempt yep yeah nice in every other way that lady but she i think she definitely um <laughs> my left hand is useless now though but at any mm. rate my my handwriting's always been kind of weird uh because of that <laughs> mm. uh but yeah like i i can imagine finding something like a good handwriting like especially for older letters and stuff especially mm. with, with cursive becoming less and less of a thing i don't think it's yeah. even taught anymore no. i don't think it's taught yeah no. like i mean the purpose of it is gone, right? It was meant to have a a way to write in which you wouldn't have to lift the quill or the fountain pen because then it, you know, drips everywhere. Yeah. Uh, whereas now we have ballpoint pens, we have pencils. Well, we always had pencils, but we don't we don't need to actually do cursive anymore. Uh, but it's still so pretty. Yeah. <laughs> we still have a lot of you know. Yeah, that's the challenge is like, you can actually look at the history of English handwriting and see like, okay, if I want to use this time period, here's the kind of handwriting that these people should have. Yeah. Um, but also, people don't write that way anymore. So some of our audience is just going to not be able to read it. Yeah. Um, which is always like my fear. Um, right. So, so I throw in, you know, I, I throw in typewritten stuff or, you know, stuff with characters who maybe have like a much more regimented style of writing so that, you know, some of the things have like a good anchor point so that people want to go in and decipher the, the cursive. Right. It's like that toss up, you know, you have to like at, at some point there's a line where you have to consider people's frustration versus like authenticity and and yeah. uh sometimes it's like well i do want them to be able to read the thing so yeah i do have to ask so one of the things i did see on your website and i know like we were talking beforehand and there's all sorts of nda things going on here but oh yeah um you also work with robotics sometimes how did you yeah. get into robotics um so i got into i mean i've always been like a you know interested in mechanical engineering and especially in animatronics. Uh, I love animatronics so much. <laughs> my thing in the world. Um, I worked uh, for Hanson Robotics uh, mm -hmm. for uh, about a year and a half. And uh, they brought me on for character writing. So when you have an autonomous robot or a robot that needs to do show pieces, you have to have somebody, you know, to write a script if they're reading from a script or to go in and engineer, you know, all of the special sauce in the background <laughs> uh, that allows them to talk autonomously. Uh, and that requires a lot of writing. And so that was what I did for them. But as I went on, I realized that I was way more interested in the mechanical engineering side. Right. Um, because I don't know if you've ever seen Sophia the robot. She's, Gorgeous. I've seen a few clips. Yeah, she is gorgeous. Oh my goodness. 
uh, and she has, you know, fully fully articulated arms that can move around, and like her face is so expressive. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I'm just like, oh, I need so for to those make something like that. Yeah, so for those who don't necessarily know, uh, if you Google Sophia the robot, Sophia the there robot. are just Google it. Um, there are YouTube clips aplenty of of uh, her being on like talk shows and that kind of thing, and and freaking the talk show hosts out with her uh, verbosity. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, Google it. Um, and so. It's incredible. Yeah. So you, you got more into the, I would love to create something of this on my own now too. Yeah. Well, not on my own. I just wanted to like get oh, yeah. on, like get on into the technical side. Yeah. And like, because writing, because I've written for actors before and yeah. it's similar, although not, you know, nearly as complicated. <laughs> um, <laughs> in what, in what way? <laughs> um, Actors can improvise without your help. Oh, yeah. Pesky yeah. actors. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I, I need a human in that role. Like, I, oh, I don't want to have to be, I don't okay, yeah. have to be writing every single thing, but when you're doing it with a robot that, that has to have a human conversation with people, uh, right. that's what you, that's what you got to do. Uh, right. And it wasn't obviously, I always have to say this. It wasn't just me. There was a team. We had about uh, oh, yeah. six or seven writers. So, you know, it's it's a Herculean task, but, like, the results are so much fun. Like, when you see somebody interacting with, you know, the stuff that you wrote and the, yeah. the personality that you built. Oh, my God. It's it's magical. <laughs> It's and so giving, important. giving even if it's not something as sophisticated as Sophia, like giving an animatronic a personality, um, I feel like that can be challenging, but so important and so rewarding when it when it works. I'll I'll admit, I'm I have uh, a love hate relationship with animatronics. <laughs> I think when they work well, they work really really well. But sometimes when I see them, especially in things like escape rooms and that sort of thing, yeah, um, I think there's a right time and place for it. And sometimes when I see human animatronics in there, uh, I get a little freaked out, and I yeah. don't know why. It's the uncanny valley type of thing. Yeah. Um, but when I see it more like a like a little friendly robot or something, for some oh. reason, I can put more of a human personality, like make more of a human connection with a little robot than with a human animatronic. I don't know. Oh um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, the uncanny valley is is. I mean, it's I think that's one of the it. things that that people find fascinating about Sophia. To be honest, is that yeah, she's pretty close. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, the Uncanny Valley is something you don't want to step into. Uh, so I I like making, you know, or I, I haven't made many of these things yet. So I, I really like interacting with, you know, monsters and robots because they, uh, it's never going to be, for one, like, you're never going to overstep its boundaries. <laughs> it, like, it can't hurt you. Or, you know, it can't, it can't disapprove of you in the way that, that Sophia can, if you say things to her that she does not like. <laughs> uh, she, she will not be happy. Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, I think when they work well, they can work really, really well. Um, yeah. It's, Ugh. it's, uh. I've had some great animatronic experiences where it's just like, I feel like there's just a character standing here in front of me. And then I've had others where I'm like, <laughs> where my fear of mannequins comes into into play, mm -hmm. and then I and then I just kind of just sit there waiting for the interaction to end because I just I'm a little freaked out. Right now, I'm building a little robot. Uh, ah! Like I'm um, I'm building. Uh, it's actually retrofitting uh, my old my personal old uh, Nintendo robotic operating buddy um, to be an animatronic character. Uh, oh, neat! Which will be the first thing that I've made, like fully from the ground up. It's all mine. Uh, I I call them my robot son. They have a Twitter <laughs> account. They have a Twitter uh, account. Yeah, they oh. have a Twitter account. 
it's uh, his name is Watts. Um, who I named him after uh, the late great Jeff Watson, who passed away uh, uh, last year. There we go. Oh my gosh, there it is. Ah, yep. It's adorable. Yeah, he's very cute. I so so far he has uh, the mechanics to move his head and his torso 360 degrees separately. He has the ability to tilt his head, um, which is like so much personality just from the fact that he can nod or like look at you that- quizzically. A head tilt could mean so, like, can do so much <laughs> to evoke emotion, right? It could be like quizzical or that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, and then he has eyes that uh, they're programmable LEDs that I ran through uh, through some filaments, uh, through some fiber optic filaments, and actually, yeah, I'll get into that in a second. Um, and they can iris in and out and change colors uh, oh, nice. to, to express different emotions. And I'm working on a different set of eyes that I can swap out. And I just got this part uh, from uh, another escape room tech guy, uh, Ben Anderson. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he was nice enough to 3D print for me the... Uh, I have a 3D printer. He has a resin 3D printer, which is very high quality. He was nice enough to print for me a new set of eyes that are heart-shaped. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You're, you're definitely going to have to make many videos when those are in. Uh, Oh yes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's Um, fantastic. I'm just taking a look at the time here. So, Oh yeah. We could talk about this forever, but uh, I do have a couple of kind of final questions for you. First, I guess, do you have, and I know this is a long career you've had, do you have a favorite (laughs) prop that you have made or like something that just is near and dear to your heart, even if it's just this small thing that you did that, you know, you're just like, wow, I'm, I really love that. Oh man. Yeah. That is like picking children in it. Um, Yeah. Well, I there is one of those masks that um, well, one of them I still have, but the the one that I love the most I don't have anymore because I personally gave it away at a live drop. Oh. Uh, so I used to, like I said, I was a jewelry maker, and uh, there is if you've ever been to the University of Texas at Austin campus, you know that there is an open air market right across from the student union. Uh, where like old hippies sell jewelry and it's one of my favorite places <laughs> in the world. Um, it's been going since prop. it's been going since the sixties, I think. And, wow. like, uh, but, uh, so I was a seller there and basically I was like, hey, if I want to want to do a live event, like, I have all these friends who are going to be here anyway. Why don't, why don't we see if like some of them can get in on this thing? And like, basically we made like a, a like dead drop that was uh, like distributed among all of these stalls. Mm -hmm. And so every different person had a code word that they were trying to, to get the other person to say. And if, the player actually got the code word. They would get one of the artifacts. And once oh. they got, so we gave them uh, nine little sacred stones. And if they got all of them, they could come to me. And I gave them the the mask. Um, so like for me, that was just like peak alternate reality game, like getting <laughs> to do something like that. And to just to do it with all my friends there. And yeah. Like meet meet the people because people had come from out of town, yeah, to come and do this. Uh, it was also like a hundred and ten degrees, it was like <laughs> because Texas. I I was running on adrenaline, but it, that part was kind of miserable. But oh. uh, yeah, that's the mask of technology, and like it's really cool. I got like an old busted camera lens. That's one of its eyes, and oh, neat. Uh, like it says "Hello World." It, 
in his mouth and like it's probably my favorite one that I made of those and also it's just one of the best experiences I've I've had in ours. It's just so great. Oh, that's so cool. That sounds really fun. And then finally, I usually ask this, um, if you have any advice for people who are making their own props or starting out or trying to find that right prop for their escape room or working with materials and whatnot, do you have any do you have any tips for them or advice just to sentence or something that they shouldn't forget while making it i would say if you find uh that you can do something really well uh stick with that because Mm -hmm. you know you're going to be able to first of all if you are very knowledgeable about your props you're going to be able to maintain them better uh but also, you know, that's how you're going to make the best thing that you can make for someone. Some of the best rooms I've seen are from people who either are like carpenters uh, or, mm-hmm. you know, model painters or, you know, people who have another artistic pursuit. So, like, use the skills you already have. Don't, you know, don't try to overextend yourself. And, I mean, the next part you can cut out if you want, but my, my Twitter is uh, Toanola at uh, T-O-E-N-O-L-L-A. And uh, if you can, you can hit me up and I'll see what I can do. Uh, I also give advice. Uh, people come to me with a picture for something and say, you know, hmm. how how do you make this? <laughs> how <like>, do? <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And I can probably tell you uh, how something was built. That's really cool. That was going to be my last question for you. If people want to find you, where can uh-huh. they find you? Yeah. <laughs> where yeah can they on go? top of it. On top of it. Yeah. Uh, if you want to take a, take a look at my portfolio, uh, it's tonola.com. I call myself that from a, an old guild that I had in Puzzle Pirates, and it just stuck. So Puzzle t- Pirates? Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, Sorry, so, I interrupted. No. <laughs> Oh my god, okay, our next podcast is going to be about Puzzle Pirates. Yeah, we got to hear about Puzzle Pirates. I only found out about this at the end of the podcast episode. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> have to have you back on to talk about that. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. It's, it's a free, free, you know, plug for Puzzle Pirates, if it still exists. It, it, uh, it was a puzzle MMO uh where you manned a pirate ship and like all of the uh, the things you had to do on it were different types of puzzle games uh, and wow. like uh, it's like um, it's like Artemis but you're a pirate. Oh, it's okay. Really good. Okay. All right. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> for those who don't know, Artemis is like a is like a space uh, type space uh, multiplayer bridge. game. Ship bridge simulator multiplayer simulator. game that you. Hmm? <laughs> oh, I was like, I believe the correct term is uh, spaceship bridge simulator. Spaceship bridge simulator. Uh, yeah, that's in person. So this one is like, oh, that's neat, cool. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. And your Twitter is at uh, at uh, Tonola. Tonola. So T O E N O L L A. Nice. Uh, and we will put that in our description, so you will be able to click on links and see it all there too yay hooray the magic of the internet the magic of the internet (laughs) well thank you so much for joining me here today Haley. it was such a delight to be able to talk i I love hearing more about um i I don't know why i love props so (laughs) so, (laughs) yeah uh Uh, yeah. yeah no thanks for having me on this has been a total blast i could nerd out for you know, <laughs> at least another couple hours, but we have a timeline to stick to. We have a timeline. I know. I, I would like, you know, when we have the other podcasters here, it's like often our problem is stopping at one point. Uh, so yeah. we'll definitely, I'll definitely have to hear more about puzzling pirates and stuff. And uh, I'll definitely see you around. And as Haley said, if you would like to see her work, do go to her website. Uh, we will link it in the description below and look at all the exciting stuff she did and if you are you know looking for props yourself or looking to get into them like Haley said you can always ask her so (laughs) thank you once again Haley and I will talk us out 
Room Escape Divas is brought to you by Inverse Genius. You can go to inversegenius.com to find other super fun podcasts just like this one. You can email us at roomescapedivas at gmail.com. I love getting emails. And if you are on Facebook, you can look for Room Escape Divas. Click the like button. We have community meetups every Friday night at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Those are still going on throughout the pandemic and probably beyond at this point. Let's face facts. Uh, <laughs> We and if you are using Twitter, you can use the hashtag redivas. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.